Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking What They Sought. I'm Jesse and I'm here with Eric and Sean and Anthony. And we're also here with Ty Gibson, who is our guest today on our series, What is an Adventist? So thanks so much for coming on, Ty. Appreciate that you're yeah, here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Ty, before we get started with with uh, with the conversation about what it means to be an Adventist, uh, let's just kind of talk a little bit about who you are. Uh, you, first of all, you are involved with the Light Bears ministry. Yeah. Uh, overall, would you be able to tell people a little bit about what that is? So Light Bears is the thing I've been doing for my entire adult life. Um, uh, started it with my wife and and a couple friends um, shortly after becoming a follower of Jesus, and uh, it began with writing. I'm 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 really a writer hmm. that preaches, not a preacher that writes. Hmm. My primary mode of communication is is writing and um and i started doing small group bible studies and then accepting speaking engagements and it just grew from there into a a, i guess you could say a proclamation ministry proclaiming Mm -hmm. the gospel with this particular interest in uh what adventism doctrinally has to say about the gospel i believe Mm. that adventism needs to be gospel immersed Uh, Mm. that would be a short way of saying what light bearers is about um, it also, because I'm a writer, it has to do a lot with publishing. So we translate into about 45 different languages and we fill mm. container loads. Each container holds about 2 million publications. And we we publish in the local languages of people in uh, South and Central America, Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, um, African countries, wherever people are challenged financially, we fill container loads full of uh, evangelistic gospel oriented literature and send it as a gift free of charge to conferences, mm. unions and divisions around the world, mission stations, etc. So it's a publishing ministry. Um, it's a, a teaching ministry. It's also a media ministry. We produce a, quite a bit of media that's viewed on various television networks and of course, YouTube and the other um, different modes of communication that our technology affords us. And uh, it's a discipleship ministry. Lightbearers runs a school, a, a discipleship school called Arise, and that runs each year in Australia from February to May. And students come from all over the world, and they're just with us for about three and a half months. And we teach mm. what we call narrative theology. Mm. That is to say, we teach that the curriculum is called the story, mm-hmm. and we teach through scripture as scripture is not yeah. as uh, mm-hmm. scripture is not. <laughs> In other words, so, so we, don't, we don't use the Bible for the verses that we yeah. can pluck mm-hmm. from here and there to assemble arguments. Mm-hmm. What we do is we, we allow doctrine to occur in its organic setting within mm. the narrative, within the story yeah. of scripture. So doctrines, for example, like the Sabbath or the mm-hmm. second coming or what we generally refer to as the state of the dead, um, how do those doctrines emerge within the story of Scripture? And so mm-hmm, yeah. um, that's what the discipleship program is that, that we teach. And it's also um, not only a physically run program in Australia each year, but it's also an online school that people mm-hmm. can sign up for and take anywhere in the world, including a Walmart parking lot. You can literally mm-hmm. sit in the <laughs> parking lot of a grocery store or something yeah. and just on your phone, go through the course. So that's, that's awesome. light bearers. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
That's really cool. I, I, one of the things we've talked about on the podcast before is growing up in Adventism, the way that I experienced scripture, this isn't for everybody, but I think a lot of us probably come from a similar story is you experience it as like that, that collection of texts that then prove a, a belief. Yeah, and then texting. it was actually like a mm-hmm. bunch of Calvinists. Uh, <laughs> it's like these reformed guys mm-hmm. who were the ones who introduced me as like, I was a pastor at the time um, to really like what, what the beauty of the, the narrative was. And then from there, it's mm. just been diving deeper into there. And so that's just really, I love that that's something you guys are doing. Um, yeah. Ty, you, you uh, didn't grow up Adventist. All the four no. of us did. You didn't. So would you be able to share kind of the, the, uh, the short version of what was it like growing up as a heathen tie? That's what we want to know. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in Southern California in Los Angeles, mainly Redondo beach, Torrance, that area. I grew up in, I guess what would be regarded as surfer culture, uh, a kind of surfer slash party skater culture. Uh, there was no idea of God anywhere on the radar. Um, we didn't believe anything as far as I could tell, yeah. but we did um, have kind of a scientific orientation mm. to the nature of reality so that I just assumed that human beings are the product of, you know, blind chance. And 13.9 billion years ago, there was a massive explosion. And here we are. Um, I was not raised with any religious beliefs. I had never even heard of the Ten Commandments. That's mm-hmm. how secular wow. We were, but I grew up in a home witnessing a lot of suffering. And so, so there was this, this sense that something is wrong Mm -hmm. in the world. I grew up in, in Southern California. So I had heard on the news, for example, that about 70 children a day for a period of time, I don't know what's going on now with Disneyland, but about 70 children a day were missing from Disneyland when I was growing up in LA and sold on the black market all around the world. So I thought, oh my goodness, (laughs) all these kids are being sold. And my mom was being abused in our own home by my stepdad. And and, uh, so grew up witnessing a lot of like concrete evil and suffering. Mm -hmm. And so... The idea of God, when I finally did begin to hear about this idea of some kind of supreme being that that exists somewhere, you know, in or outside of the universe, depending on your ontology, I began to think, well, that's ridiculous, because if God exists, he would have to be a psychopath Mm. to have a world like this on his hands. I mean, children die of starvation on this planet. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that there's some kind of super powerful, omnipotent, supreme being that presides over this junk, this mess. I mean, oh my goodness, are you serious? So I thought as a kid and as a teenager that if God does exist, and I was pretty sure he didn't, Hmm. because the evolutionary theory made much more sense to me. Why are we suffering? Well, because we're all a bunch of animals Mm -hmm. scratching and clawing and drop kicking one another to the top. So survival (laughs) of the fittest made sense to me with suffering, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I thought if God does exist, if God does exist, well, why is all of this happening? Certainly, certainly he would have to be a monster and I would have, I would be obligated if God does exist, I would be obligated to be his enemy. Yeah. I would be obligated mm. on moral grounds mm-hmm. to defy him. Mm-hmm. I would be a part of the insurrection against the God of the universe for having a world like this, yeah. right? Mm. But see, my problem was 
is I was beginning with the assumption of power as the premise hmm. of reality. So I thought, okay, supreme being, if God exists, that equates to power, all powerful mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. Therefore, God would prevent men from beating their wives and children from dying of starvation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, the way I became an Adventist was I was introduced to Adventists by venting all of this to this pastor dude that was coming to our house. And he, my mom got baptized. And I thought, oh, she's crazy. Why would you believe <laughs> such things? You know, it's more likely that the planet was seeded by aliens a long time ago. And that's how we got here. Mm -hmm. You know, so my mom became a Seventh-day Adventist. And then my girlfriend, who's now my wife, by the way, my girlfriend and my mom were friends too. They liked each other. So my girlfriend liked this idea of God and started believing in God. And I thought, oh my goodness, the only two people in the whole world that I actually like are <laughs> becoming, you know, believers in God. Mm -hmm. And and so she deployed, my mom kind of pointed at me and said, sick them to this pastor, you know, <laughs> go, go tell him this youth pastor guy. And so I vented on this pastor, I said, listen, I'm not even God, and I don't claim to love everybody like you say he does. Hmm. But if I saw children dying of starvation, I'd feed them. Yeah. So don't tell mm. me that God exists, because if he does exist, he's heartless at a yeah. bare mm -hmm. minimum. How can children die on your watch? I, I said, listen, I don't even have a bunch of money, but if three kids were dying of starvation on my front lawn... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd empty You'd... my refrigerator to feed them. Yeah, for sure. you tell me there's some supreme being presiding over this, 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 you know, basically this insane asylum called planet Earth, and and you want me to believe that? And I said, don't come and visit me anymore. I don't believe it. My mom is gullible. My girlfriend is gullible. I'm not. Hmm. So you can take your religion somewhere else. I don't believe yeah. it. And mm -hmm. he promised me he would never visit me again if I would just read. The mm -hmm. first chapter of that book, and he pointed to a book on yeah. my mom's table, and it was like this thick, mm -hmm. and it had a black cover and no pictures. And to that point in my life, all I had read was surfer magazines. So <laughs> I thought, you know, it's a really good thing he didn't say, would you read that book? Because I would have yeah. said, no, I'm not reading a three-inch thick book. Mm -hmm. um, but he said, would you just read the first chapter of that book, and I'll never visit you again, and I'll believe you if you tell me that you'll read it. I said, yeah, I'll read it, man. So he left. And just to keep my word, I sat down that evening, I opened that book to the first chapter, mm -hmm. and the title was, Why Was Sin Permitted? Mm. Now, I had no religious vocabulary, so mm -hmm. I thought, okay, sin, I thought, what's that? That's probably the bad stuff, yeah. right? But I, the word sin was foreign to my thinking. I knew the word evil, I knew the word suffering, you know, mm -hmm. but sin, uh, that sounds religious, you yeah. know, so I thought mm -hmm. that's a weird word. So why was sin permitted? Question mark. The first three words of that chapter were God is love. And I rolled my eyes and I thought, oh yeah, here we go. Mm -hmm. Here yeah. we go. God is love. Are you kidding me? How could there be so many intellectually challenged people on the planet who believe <laughs> this stuff? Mm -hmm. And so then I kept reading to keep my word. Hmm. And you guys, I am, I'm telling you, something happened. And here's what hmm. happened. I did hmm. not understand 80% of what I read in that chapter because mm -hmm. there was all kinds of religious language that I was unfamiliar with. But there's one thing I understood. 
by the end of that chapter. A simple equation was formulated in my mind. Mm -hmm. And that equation was this, that love in order to exist necessitates freedom and mm -hmm. freedom in mm -hmm. order to exist necessitates risk. Yeah. Love, mm -hmm. freedom, risk. Love, freedom, risk. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've been assuming power as the premise wow. of this mm. God idea when mm -hmm. I should have been assuming love as the premise of this God idea. Mm -hmm. The moment I accepted the idea that God is love as his primary attribute, you could say, mm -hmm. the operating system of godness or something like yeah. that. Once, once I accepted love as the premise rather than power, then I could understand, oh, okay. So love is of such a nature, because I knew I loved my mom. Yeah. And I knew I loved my girlfriend. And I knew I couldn't propose marriage to my girlfriend with a revolver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Right. I knew that the only way for my girlfriend to love me would be that she's free not to love me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, so so real. the no is necessary to the yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? If she cannot say no to me then her yes is meaningless. Yeah. She's a robot, a machine, a slave mm -hmm. or something, but she's not an autonomous creature that could say no. So I realized, yeah. oh, wait a minute. In order for love to be the premise of reality, mm -hmm. creatures would have to be able to say no to God. Yeah, And that yeah. means if you say no to God, there's the, the, I mean, put it in this kind of language, love, freedom, risk. There's the downside risk of love and the upside risk of love. Hmm. The downside risk of love is that somebody might say, oh, well, I don't love you back mm -hmm. and choose to do dastardly deeds that cause pain and suffering. The upside risk involved in love is that free creatures might say yes and mm -hmm. choose not to perpetuate suffering and pain in the world. Yeah. And on that premise, I was quote unquote, what y'all call converted. <laughs> I was converted. So I went to my mom and my girlfriend and I said, I get it. I'm a believer. I believe I believe in God now. And my mom said, Ty, quit being sacrilegious. Don't be disrespectful. Of course you don't believe in God. She I said, you're no, mom, mom, I do. I believe in God now. And she was like, no, you don't. I mean, I was smoking dope and snorting Coke and, you know, listening to Led Zeppelin. And mm -hmm. she was like, you do not believe in God. And I said, no, mom, I do. I get it now. And she said, you get what? And I explained to her the love, freedom, risk paradigm. And my mom began to cry. And she said, there's no way you could explain that. There's no way you could explain that if you didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay, I guess you're a believer now. <laughs> I didn't hardly anything. I didn't hard believe hardly anything. I believed I believed one thing. Yeah. I believed God is love. Love yeah. requires freedom. Freedom creates risk. And that yeah. was the premise of my of my conversion to Christ. Um, That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. When when wow. you had that moment, um, one of the things that I it's like if that's the end of the movie it's like oh wow that's awesome that's great like everything is better mm -hmm. now right is how i guess how <laughs> you would perceive it but that's not how real life goes what was what was maybe the 
the next few months of your life of, of figuring out a little bit more about God, especially within Adventism. It's like yeah. Adventism, at least in my experience, was not not a place where I expected too many people to like show up and be like, I have realized that God is love. <laughs> you know, so so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of right. curious about that experience for you from there. Well, um, it was tough. It was tested because yeah. because uh, shortly after that, you know, coming to Jesus moment with the God is love premise, uh, my mom was diagnosed with lymphoma. Mm. So the suffering kicked in again. Yeah. And now the mm. suffering that was happening was threatening her life. And my girlfriend and I, uh, right before that, a- after I realized, okay, it is plausible that God could exist and yeah. have a world like this on his hands mm-hmm. uh, with the, the love freedom premise. Um, my, my girlfriend and I started reading the Bible every day and trying to understand it, which at first we didn't. We're like, oh, new <laughs> wine, old wineskins. Right. And, you know, and lo, there was a field and some farmer <laughs> dude planted some seeds and they grew up. You know, we thought, what is this? You know, yeah. we didn't understand it. But then we went to some meetings, what, what uh, the church calls evangelistic meetings, and blew our minds with... Mm. Uh, all kinds of new things that we we learned. And my mom was then diagnosed uh, with lymphoma. Sue and I were baptized. Uh, Sue was my girlfriend, mm. who's my wife. We were baptized. My mom was overjoyed, of course. Um, and then she was uh, diagnosed with lymphoma and we watched her uh, get really sick. And then uh, the test of suffering also became a test of our religion in yeah. quote marks, because there was a group of fanatical Adventists who moved in on my mom oh, mm. and said, oh, oh you, you you have cancer. But here in the book of Revelation, uh, it says that uh, that that Babylon deceives the world by her sorceries. Hmm. And the word sorcery in the Greek is pharmakai, from which we get the word pharmacy, pharmacy oh, and boy. pharmaceuticals. And they said, they said, so you can't go to the doctor and take chemotherapy and drugs yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And so they tried to heal my mom of lymphoma with like golden seal and charcoal poultices and, wow. you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and she just wasted away to 80 pounds. And mm. uh, finally, when my grandmother came to town and intervened and, and told all those people to get out of the house, uh, she rushed my mom to the hospital. And this had been, she had been wasting away with these, with these treatments that these, these people were giving her for over a year. Oh, uh, wow. She just descended, descended, descended. And uh, when my, my grandmother took her to the hospital, they immediately uh, did what they could Mm-hmm. and uh, started chemotherapy treatments, uh, which is a pretty harsh drug. Yeah. Um, and you have to be more at the earlier stages of lymphoma for chemotherapy to actually, because chemotherapy is, you know, it's not a brilliant science. It's pretty mm-hmm. much, let's, let's flood your body with poison mm-hmm. that will kill you if you do it long enough, but hopefully it kills the cancer before it kills you and then you'll recover. Right. Yeah. That's the science of chemotherapy in a nutshell. And she was dead within two days. Oh, um, wow. So yeah, my my Adventism was definitely tested um, yeah. at that point. And I'm thinking, wow, so 
you know, maybe my mom would have lived if yeah. she would have gone to the doctor immediately. But but I realized that, mm. wait, that was a, you know, that was a small group of wing nuts. That mm -hmm. wasn't mm. Adventism in general. So I didn't judge the church for wow. what was done to my mom. How yeah. did you distinguish? Right? Yeah, that's that's a huge question right there. Yeah, how did you? Well, because how were you able to do that? The way I distinguished because the uh, a bunch of the local church members um, had been trying to persuade my mom that no, you should go to the doctor, and mm -hmm. these people are wrong. Gotcha. You know, they mm -hmm. maybe they didn't try hard enough, but I knew that not everybody in the church believed mm -hmm. that. I, I mean, I'm not against yeah. a charcoal poultice here or there if you have a what I don't know a cold or something. I don't yeah. think a char charcoal poultice is going to heal, heal cancer. Yeah. So. And there were, I knew a bunch of Adventists who didn't buy into that extremism. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So my, my faith was definitely tested. Um, and there were other tests along the way uh, in my Adventist experience because I came into Adventism when the Adventist church was basically a big theological brawl. Hmm. Like this, when we were baptized, this? yeah, when we were baptized, um, the sanctuary and the investigative judgment doctrine was hanging uh, in the balance. And was uh, this like Desmond Ford sort of Desmond Ford yeah, yeah. Uh, had come along. He was teaching at PUC Pacific yeah. Union mm -hmm. College in Napa Valley, California. And he had written his book called Daniel in which he reinterpreted Daniel 814. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then he was uh, uh, kind of put on trial, so to speak yeah. uh, in a series of, um, meetings that church leaders had with him so there was that there was the desmond ford um and controversy sorry, just, just for yeah. context for anybody who who doesn't know what that is uh the reinterpretation of dan lay at 14 causes the investigative judgment doctrine of adventism to sort of uh evaporate uh, evaporate yeah, yeah which then creates bigger issues for the 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 uh uh what's the right word the um identity of Adventism. Yeah. And so there's, there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot more to that, but there was that, that was a big moment in Adventism back in the, when were this, this is like, that was in the 1980s. And, yeah. and, and a lot of, I, I think it's been estimated that something like 700 Seventh-day Adventist pastors left the ministry wow. and left the Adventist yeah. church under his yeah. influence. It's a whole yeah. generation of seminarians. And there yeah. was a bunch of people in Australia cause he was Australian a bunch of pastors in Australia left the ministry and left the church. So it was a yeah. big, it was a scandal in Adventism. And this then, is wild because like you, so you, yeah. <laughs> you walk into Adventism, mm -hmm. like just from nothing. And yeah. then you're, you're met with people who, who went the pharmacia route and, and, and yeah. interpret it that way. And then you're, you're <laughs> met with like, <laughs> and then you're met with, with, uh, with like chaos it, within the church, uh, yeah. for organizationally, it, it's it to to be frank, it's it's surprising to to hear that you stuck with it through all of that. Yeah, it's surprising I, I, you're still here. Yeah. Well, I haven't even told you the half of it. I mean, I don't, didn't just <laughs> yeah. encounter the pharmacia people. The first camp meeting in Adventism I, I was taken to, as you as we drove up to the camp meeting, there were people uh, who. You know, I'm not making fun of them at all. I'm just telling you what we saw with our eyes. They looked mm -hmm. like straight out of uh, the Michael Landon uh, television series, Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, they were dressed. Yeah. They were dressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had bonnets and beards uh -huh. and suspenders, and mm -hmm. and they were handing out literature uh, about dress reform and health reform and 
We encountered wow. people who were setting times for the closer probation, setting time for the second coming. We wow. encountered a movement uh, called the Lord Our Righteousness Movement, which was a big deal in Adventism in the 1990s. Uh, I don't know if you remember Pastor Wayne Bent, who was an Adventist pastor in Sandpoint, Idaho. And he mm-hmm. and a few other pastors created a movement called the Lord Our Righteousness Movement, where they believed in immediate sinlessness by a by a mm. prayer. And mm-hmm. he wow. actually became a, a known pedophile and was interviewed by Larry King Live on CNN and now oh, is serving man. a long prison sentence uh, because the Lord told him to go wow. through Gethsemane uh, by demonstrating that he was sinless by having sex with all the women in the camp, you know? Of course. So we encountered yeah. that. We encountered people who were reinterpreting the time prophecies, people who are reinterpreting the seals and the trumpets to the future. This is what oh this is. Gosh. When I walked into Adventism, wow. there were arguments <laughs> over whether cheese should be allowed at the potluck. There were arguments over music styles. There were arguments over... I mean, that's the short list of all How the stuff we encountered. How are you still encounter. here? How are you here? <laughs> uh, well, he's, he's making why, a, I'm, why I'm here when we get to the theological part. Right. But, he, he's uh, making a yeah, Netflix so documentary. That's what I encountered. I actually, I actually had a church trial um, in the no Adventist way. church. No way. Ooh, say more about and that. Was, and was disfellowshipped from the Seventh-day Adventist church. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Not, we for the regular, not for the regular stuff that you get disfellowshipped for like uh, adultery or bank robbery. <laughs> I, I got disfellowship. Um, here's how the ballot read. I have it memorized. It, mm-hmm. it said, uh, uh, you know, I hereby move that, that, uh, that Ty Gibson be disfellowshipped from the Seventh-day Adventist Church for a failure to yield to duly constituted church authority. Oh, hmm. dang. Oh. And it was a very narrow vote. There were about 500 people present for the trial. It went on for about two hours. I was asked questions and allowed to answer with three minute on a time, uh, a stopwatch, three minute answers. And then they voted and I was disfellowshipped by a very narrow margin of like, you know, 260 in favor and 240 against, something like that. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, (laughs) well, uh, see ya. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What, 13 people came in class? Then the pastor said, uh, uh, you know, is there anything you'd like to say? You know, now that you you're not an Adventist anymore, you've been disfellowship. Uh, do you have any final thing that you'd like to say? Um, which was polite, you know, just to let me have the the final word. Um, and I stepped up to the mic and I said, "Well, I just want you all to know that I'm still a Seventh Day Adventist <laughs> um, in my head, in my heart, um, and I don't know what just happened. I don't know the implications of this." Yeah. Uh, but I do know that I still believe the same things that I believed. And there were people crying. Uh, wow. You know, there were people out on the lawn with picket signs protesting it. It <laughs> oh, was time, What did you do? When, what, when was this? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, what year was this? Well, what, what happened? Well, this was, this would have been, uh, let's see, this would have. <laughs> no, 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 this, this was back in the, the, uh, uh, mid 1980s. Wow. Um, Oh. And uh, there's a whole story that led up to why I was disfellowship. But basically, we had started this ministry called Lightbearers. Yeah. And the church was okay. in upheaval. And while the Desmond Ford thing was taking place, right? And mm-hmm. that whole theological controversy was going on. There, there was a bunch of what were called at that time, 
independent ministries that arose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And some of them were denominational employees. They were pastors in the church who were rebelling against uh, the Desmond Ford theology, what they called at that mm. time the new theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lightbearers was actually didn't, we didn't create Lightbearers uh, as a theological controversy with that whole Desmond Ford thing. We created Lightbearers to do evangelism, to do outreach, to do small mm. group Bible studies and and uh, teaching and stuff like that. But we we also came into the church at a time where all that division was happening. And I wasn't, I wasn't super mature. I, I mm. was a teenager when I became an Adventist. Yeah. And mm. I was 18 mm-hmm. years old when I was baptized. And we had a pastor, a new pastor, not the one that baptized me, but a new one that came in. And he and I had some theological differences and I was an Adventist for a full year before I knew that there were conferences and unions and a division and a general conference. <laughs> wow. That's how like, yeah. just your me. church. Yeah. And they yeah. said, hey, you, you can't run this ministry unless you're under the auspices of the oh. conference. And I said, what's the conference? Right. And they said, oh, it's, it's the leadership of this territory. And I said, well, where is it? And they mm-hmm. told me the address. And they said, yeah, it's, it's a conference and there's a conference everywhere. And, and I, I, I thought, I, well, I don't know what that is. What do I, should I, should I go meet them? Who, who are these people? You know, I didn't know anything about it. It was all message driven for me. It didn't have anything to do with an organizational structure. I was just yeah. baptized into mm-hmm. a belief system. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Wow. And then that and conference so- president left, you know, I was kind of, I wasn't, I, I, I blew it in some ways. Like the conference president, I went to meet him. Mm-hmm. He actually asked me to come in. I met with him and he said I needed to shut down Lightbearers because it was an actual 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Oh, wow. Yeah. And at that time, there were no mm-hmm. such things in Adventism that were accepted. Oh, you either gotcha. were a denominational employee mm-hmm. or you were a lay person. Yeah. You couldn't, right. mm-hmm. you couldn't do what I was doing and, and have your own organization that wasn't under the organization called the Adventist church. And I Mm -hmm. didn't know all this. I didn't understand (laughs) all of it. I was new. And, and so when this conference president, you know, he had a suit and a tie and he looked really official and his hair was sharply parted and the (laughs) desk was shiny. And I thought, wow, he looks like, you know, like a, a real, like an authoritative figure or something. Yeah. And he started telling me that I couldn't continue what I was doing um, with the approval of the Adventist church and that I was in his territory and all that kind of language for Dang. this wow. conference. Wow. And I and I said, I had just been reading uh, The Great Controversy. Yeah. And I said, mm-hmm. you're not the Pope and this isn't Rome, so don't tell me what to do. <laughs> that was my basic attitude. Oh, and that was my, that was my, That's so great. you know, that was my immaturity. Mm-hmm. After that, I read The Desire of Ages and I kind of balanced out. I thought, oh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus, Jesus, yeah. Jesus probably wouldn't have said that to the conference president, you know. But that but was so fun and, to hear. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I wasn't, I, mean, I was not a good boy. So, so. so yeah, that's how I ended up kind of on the outs. But I have to tell you the good news. And the good yeah. news is that conference president, as as they do, took a call somewhere else. And a new conference president came in. And he he was he was amazing. 
So mm. I reached out to him now that there was a new conference president and uh, said, hey, could we get together and talk? You know, I, I you know, I'm I'm because they all knew knew of our existence yeah. as a mm-hmm. ministry. We were cranking out all kinds of literature and doing meetings all over the place. And and I didn't want to be, you know, apart from Adventism. And mm-hmm. uh, and he said, yeah, yeah, you can come to the conference office and meet. And when I got there. They they were ready for they were ready for battle. They had stacks mm. of Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White books, and they had their mm. Bibles. And they thought there were about ten or twelve of church leaders in in the conference room, and and Damn. they thought I was there to you know argue Get theology the with them. And I said, oh, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not why I'm here. And the conference president, super cool guy, he said, well, you asked for the meeting, so we'll let you start. And I said, hey, this will be really short. I just wanted to come and to apologize mm. to you guys for my attitude. Not not for what I said or believe per se, but I I wasn't I was, you know, I kind of had a a bad attitude yeah. uh toward mm. the authority thing because mm-hmm. I didn't understand authority structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just an American teenager. <laughs> right. So so I I didn't understand all that. And so he began to to tear up and cry. And he said, he said, no, 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 no. He softened and he said, no, we owe you an apology. We should not have, you should, you were, you were this young person who came in. We should have dealt with you differently. You should not Mm. have been disfellowshipped, blah, blah, blah. And so he became one of my best friends and actually became a board member for Lightbearers. And wow. Yeah. So wow. Well, man, so, that is a crazy story. So you're saying, Ty, you're saying that light bears wouldn't exist if you didn't have ignorance for what Adventist structure was. <laughs> like possibly. I mean, because, you could interpret it that way, I guess. Nice. But, but you might I have... found a lot of cool church leaders <laughs> that, that, I mean, even, even at that time, uh, this conference president, and there were other conference presidents who wanted me yeah. to speak at Adventist universities and at mm-hmm. camp meetings, but mm-hmm. I was banned. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to like I was banned from speaking at uh like Southern Adventist University for example. Wow. Oh wow. Uh, man, you're for, rebellious. For a My while. Goodness. Um wow. I was not allowed to speak there by the by the 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 president at that time of the university banned me. Um fast forward many years later, you know, they called me up and said, "Hey, uh you know, we we we'd like to put your name on the list of being the, the pastor for the college church at wow. Southern. I said, are you kidding me? This is like so funny. I said, do you, I said, do you guys remember the right. history? Do you, and they were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry. Bad. <laughs> so, so yeah, there was a broad mindedness is what I'm saying. There were yeah, a lot yeah, of broad minded yeah. leaders that were super cool and they embraced me and, and but I've been is running funny. light bearers ever since. That is yeah. funny that, that you you might have had you known started it underneath like the the denomination as opposed to you know Independent what it ministry. is today yeah but I Dude, I, have I to... was an Adventist for probably four months before I knew Ellen White wasn't alive I got all the <laughs> wow. books I got all the books can't wait and I was to like, meet her yeah wow well, where does she live right well, she doesn't she's dead and the oh, dead not anything so I was like yeah. oh okay that's great dang that's amazing. It's it's funny to hear because like we I mean we all grew up Adventist so it's like all this stuff was just like you know part of the water we swam in so it's it's yeah, incredible yeah. to hear someone else's perspective. I have to say though, Ty, and I shared this with you a little bit before, and I've shared the story on the podcast before, but yeah, I am glad that you were still an Adventist and part of the the church and still doing your ministry. 
Um, and I think Anthony, similarly, because uh, we, we went to Auburn Academy mm-hmm. uh, in Washington. And while we were there, uh, we just had, we had this dean. And uh, Sean, you're kind of part of this too. Uh, we had this dean who I've, just had- To be honest, fired. I thought you were intentionally leaving Sean out. <laughs> no, I, I just forgot. That, I just forgot. Um, Sean's forgettable. That's, that's more uh, insulting. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Uh, uh, Ty, if you didn't know, we've been friends since like high school. So, uh, but uh, the, yeah, so there was a dean that came in um, to the dorm who was uh, just, he caught fire for God. Um, and I just remember he was, he was always talking about the gospel and all this stuff, stuff that we, we had never really heard that much of, you know, he's talking about Ephesians, you've been seated in the heavenly places with, with, with Christ Jesus. It's like, what is this stuff? You know? Um, but I, I vividly remember the day where I was sitting in my dorm room. There's like piles of laundry everywhere. I'm playing a video game and I hear a knock on the door and the key in the door. And my Dean comes in, he dragged a chair through all my laundry, sits down and just says like, do you know that Jesus loves you? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, no, no, you know that Jesus loves you. I was like, yeah, of course. And, and then he started to go off on like this whole tangent that, that started to shift everything for me, which was that he started going down the Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. He, he, Jesus has experienced what you've experienced. He, he lived the life that you've lived. Um, and from there, it was such a crazy reality for me that, God knew what I had been through. And then he put the book, See With New Eyes, which is your, one of your books, um, in my hands mm. and had me read it. And from there, it was the shift from God's character for me, from the God who I'd grown up with, who wasn't, he wasn't oppressive and, and, and overly like judgment. He just, he was just existed and, and lived his life. I lived my life and, you know, I was supposed to believe in him. It was just that, like, it, I wasn't anti, I wasn't mm. for, it was just, I was just kind of existing. And, uh, but it was, then the character of God through through reading that book, see with new eyes that, that you had written, that started mm-hmm. to shift so much for me. So I, I would also say it was similar to like I probably didn't understand seventy percent uh, of what I was reading through it, but I just it started to shift. Like Jesus knows what I've been through; He knows what I'm experiencing mm-hmm. right now, and because of that, I have a friend, and that was like what made it so so personal mm-hmm. to me. So I just yeah. have to say a special thank you from from uh from my perspective i wouldn't i i genuinely would not be in the place that i'm at today if it wasn't for uh what you had written in that book and and for your ministry so it's just it's just it's the ripples man it's yeah it's That's really very cool. cool yeah thanks so, for reading it yeah. yeah so i'm glad you're still an adventist <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and that leads maybe yeah. ty what, what leads me to that is you know you you talk about how you started with just the simple premise of you know god is love and and that equation for you and and leading you through like that amazing that amazing journey that very rough journey of being an Adventist the first few years and seeing the just the divide and everything and and really what what I'm getting at is you know there's a lot of that character of God within just Christianity at large what was it for you specifically or maybe this has evolved over time for you that has kept you in the church, but even more specifically, the Adventist worldview, what, what is it about Adventism mm-hmm. that maybe characterizes God or shows you a specific worldview through the Bible that mm. you feel is important or matters versus I, something else? I'm going to, and mm-hmm. just to put, put a caveat on that, I think the story that you've shared, I think I resonate with, and I think a lot of our list, people who listen resonate with your story, like friends of ours who we know listen and um, have experienced the types of Adventism that you just described. Um, 
as like a, as growing up in it. Not, yeah, yeah. Uh, growing up in it and and having experiences like the ones that you've described, where you know they've like I have friends our age who have been called into church boards. You know, like we don't like you know you need to stop playing guitar and that's going to no longer be allowed here. So you're going to have to leave. You're going to have to be disfellowshipped, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so I guess all that to say, um, the, t- the tenacity, the, I guess I don't want to call it religious tenacity, but the tenacity for you to stick around in a, a church that you experience those moments with, like the one you shared with your mom and being disfellowshipped and all that stuff, Many of you know people our age experience similar moments um, of feeling like they're not welcome in church. So I guess just to mm-hmm. echo Sean's question, yeah, what what is what has anchored you? So I think I, I've I've always distinguished between people and theology because being introspective, I even am aware that I come short of what I believe. Hmm. Right. So I, I believe lofty things. <laughs> you know, I, I, I believe God is love. You can't get any more <laughs> lofty than that. Right. The, the most noble, lofty, elevated idea you could possibly articulate mm. is the three word axiom. God is love. Mm-hmm. That's pretty high. And 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 right next to that is I'm not. Yeah, I'm mm. not. Uh, you know, God is love, and I come short of that in so many ways, although I'm constantly, by the grace of God, trying to approximate it, to, to love like Jesus loves, right? So I know that I, as a human, am short of what I believe continually, and so it doesn't surprise me that other people are short of mm. what we believe. Mm. So I've always distinguished between the people and the theology. So mm. so I'm an Adventist theologically mm-hmm. in my head, in my heart. So so I believe the message of mm-hmm. Adventism so that if some people are ornery or stupid or fanatical or mean or idiotic or whatever they are, you know, that doesn't that doesn't rightly represent the thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I distinguish, first of all, I distinguish between people who do dumb stuff and, and the theology, because I know I do dumb stuff. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing that's very helpful to me. And Jesus taught that with the whole wheat and tares parable, right? Let the wheat and the tares grow together for the harvest. There's going to be weeds and there's, there's wheat. But if you start trying to pluck up, you're obviously, you're not going to be able to distinguish and judge uh, so I don't want to judge the judgmental or judge mm-hmm. the judgers type wow. of a thing, but but panning out further from there, okay. I mean, so the bigger Ty, question, t- yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I, I guess not even to push back, but to just ask. I mean, you know, you shared the story about your mom. You said you don't want to judge the judgmental, but the way that you frame that story, you know, if maybe if your mom had gotten, you know, yeah. medical help in a sooner way, maybe she would have lived longer, et cetera what you shared. That's a pretty, I mean, I guess I'm curious, like, how did you get there? Was it just overnight? You're like, well, I don't want to judge the judgmental for how they. I don't think it was overnight. It was, Hmm. uh, I'm really thankful that, okay. I'm really thankful that Adventism gave me the gift of a premise. 
mm-hmm. a master mm-hmm. equation of reality. Mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. is love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so that premise is is you know the the what's grounded me. But that doesn't mean that I understood stood how to navigate. So I was ticked. Yeah, at what happened with my mom. I thought those people were complete lunatics, and how could you possibly do that? You know, but but in the next you know few months or years, I realized it wasn't malicious. Hmm. They were more ignorant than diabolical. Hmm. And there's a difference between being ignorant and diabolical. True, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so so mm-hmm. I thought, okay, these are these people just really believed what 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 they were what they were pushing mm-hmm. you know and so i thought they meant well they thought they were saving my mom's life yeah type right. of a thing but i didn't come to that overnight that wasn't a momentary thing you know even yeah it's 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 hard it's hard i mean my mom was a super cool person i mm. i loved her she was the only person in, you know that i loved growing up because all i saw was you know mayhem and madness and Mm -hmm. but she was a super cool lady and i loved her and she loved me and so it was a big deal to lose her it was a big deal to lose her um she had a really hard life my mom went through a lot um Mm. and uh so it was it was difficult to lose her so it wasn't overnight it wasn't overnight Mm -hmm. you know it's been it's been a journey you know but Mm. distinguishing so if you zoom out, the only way to understand, you know, your basic question is, why are you an Adventist? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, I can tell you this. I could not be uh, any other version of Christianity. Hmm. Wow. Because intellectually and emotionally, uh, Adventism is the only doctrinal system that accords or or you know synchronizes with reality as we encounter it. So I regard Adventism as what I refer to as theological realism. Hmm. And what I mean by that is Adventism um, parses reality as human beings actually encounter it, rather than creating a fairy tale overlay. Mm, yeah. Where you have to believe the unbelievable. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Could you, could, I don't. I, I don't have to believe the unbelievable. I believe the believable. Could, could you? Could you explain? Explain maybe slightly what you mean by that? Because um, what you're saying is is a massive claim, which I I have heard other people say, but I feel like the way that they hold it is like ah, I don't love okay. that. But but hearing you say, I have more faith that you hold it with like a. A, a more rational perspective than I've heard in other places. So, but so when you say there's not a fairy tale overlay to it, what what might be a a version of a of that fairy tale idea in other spaces? Just for, for okay. context. So I'm a I'm I am as a human being as are you. I'm describing a human being or the human being. Um, we are rational creatures Mm -hmm. that engage Mm -hmm. in deductive logic and we are emotional creatures for which things need to make not only intellectual sense but emotional sense in other words yeah i have to actually be attracted to the god i believe in Mm -hmm. i I couldn't believe in god for fear of hell or desire Mm. for heaven for example yeah 
forget that. I mean, if God's a monster, I don't want to spend eternity with him in a new heavens and a new earth. Mm -hmm. And even if God threatens me with eternal torment, I'm like, bring it on. Right. If you're a monster. (laughs) So the moment, the moment somebody says you have to, I lean out. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And so the, the, you have to picture of God is intellectually and emotionally untenable for me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, so, so Adventism comes along. There, okay, I work this through in my own thinking and 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 explain it this way. You know how we have you know what we call twenty eight fundamental beliefs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's another way of looking at it. Really, we have one fundamental belief. Yeah. If somebody says to me, "Hey, Ty, you're 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 yeah," I meet somebody on an airplane or something. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, so you're a Christian? Oh, uh. Actually, I, I I like to say, no, I'm not a Christian because that might equate to something in American culture that I don't mm-hmm. want to be equated with. Yeah, so if somebody says, are days. you a Christian? I'll say, I'll say, no, I'm not a Christian, but I am a follower of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a distinction that allows for conversation to occur. Yeah. Because to say you're a Christian could mean you're simply saying, oh, I'm part of Christendom. Yeah. That is mm-hmm. the 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 monolith, the mm-hmm. the 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 monolithic thing that is basically a a version of american nationalism right yeah you know and and i'm not into that so so i'm not a christian if what you mean by that is that monolith that political monolith Mm -hmm. but i am a follower of christ oh well what's that distinction so if somebody says okay if you're a follower of christ what do you believe i say i just have one belief yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, just one? You just believe one thing? Oh, yeah, I just have one fundamental belief. I believe God is love. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly you believe more than that. No, I don't believe anything more than that. I believe God is love. <laughs> oh, come on. You must believe two or three more things, maybe even 28 things. Yeah. No, right. I believe one thing. I believe God is love. But on that premise, I believe God is love, dot, 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 therefore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So so it's the, right. it's the foundational element that everything yeah. else so bleeds out. So my doctrinal yeah. system It's built on top. My doctrinal system stacks yeah. right, on that foundational idea. So anything any doctrinal or theological belief that you put on the table that contradicts the God is love premise mm-hmm. automatically is inadmissible for me. Right. So if if, if, the, I'm if, hearing... the, if the doctrinal belief contradicts that premise, I don't believe it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's it's like okay, so the the reason I can say Adventism is is a is is reality, or at least it gets it has a, has a hold on reality, is mm-hmm. because if that premise is true, God is love, then the belief yeah. systems that that are the therefore from that, yeah, su- support that premise from a not from a, a have to perspective, but from right. like a, this is the sort of God that I would be attracted to, and therefore would follow, and therefore would right. want to be with consistently. Yeah. If I'm hearing correctly. Yes. If somebody gave me a blank slate Mm -hmm. and just said, hey, if God could exist, Mm -hmm. write down what that God would be like, I would basically construct Adventism. And be attractive to you is what you're saying. Oh, it's super attractive. Because for example, let let me let me give a couple of practical examples. So um when I said that the only version of Christianity that I could even intellectually be a part of would be Adventism, what I mean is this. 
you had mentioned earlier Calvinism, for example. Well, Calvinism yeah. is the predominant Christian view um, in at least American Christianity, you know. So, so Calvinism is basic Baptist theology, basic uh, evangelical theology in general, and the the kind of the street lingo version, not the theological ver- version. It, you, you could say to a, a run-of-the-mill evangelical in the pew, uh, you're a Calvinist, and they say, "What's that?" They wouldn't know what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you said, "Hey, do you believe in once saved, always saved?" They say, "Yep." Yeah. So, so, mm-hmm. so the once saved, always saved premise it derives from determinism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a belief that that emerges from Plato and Aristotle, not from the Hebrew Scriptures. Mm-hmm. So, so it's determinism. It's God is sovereign. Yeah, and that yeah. means that God exercises uh, exhaustive control over all outcomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so God predetermines or predestines who's saved, who's lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no wiggle room, and you can't change that reality. Mm-hmm. If you're one of the chosen, one of the called, yeah. right? If you're one of the predestined, you'll come around, and yeah. and you will become a believer. But if you're destined for hell, you're destined for hell, and there's no free will in that worldview because of the Calvinist view of total depravity. Yeah. Total depravity in the worldview says that human the human being is so totally depraved that free will is non-existent, right? So yeah. God predetermines who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, and then you add something to that predestination doctrine, yeah. and that is that hell just happens to be eternal torment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have a God who not only predetermines who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. Yeah. Those who are going to be lost are going to be tortured for all Forever. eternity mm-hmm. because God created them to for that purpose. Yeah. yeah. To, to torture them forever and ever. Mm-hmm. And so the, intellectually, the what's that? And, then, and the end goal is to to show God's glory and his and his ultimate exactly. sovereignty. It's like it's, and this it's is like, true of cancer. Wild. This yeah. is true of cancer. This is true of, of molestation. Yeah. You know, if, if a, a young girl is molested by her uncle yeah. and she goes to the Calvinist pastor, the the the, the pastor is going to say, well, it, it was God's will for some purpose. Yeah. But, but what the Calvinist can't say mm-hmm. is that what your uncle did to you was against the will of God. Because right, the yeah. moment something exists that's against the will of God, now you've compromised the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is like which is one of the most key important things because if we compromise exactly. the sovereignty of God, yeah, God becomes yeah. weak. And if God is weak, then he's not worthy yes. of being God. And yeah. And yeah, I, which I know is I'm not Plato doing full and Aristotle. Justice, yeah. You know, this is this is Greek this is Greek philosophy. This has no th- this does not occur in scripture. This is not a yeah. Hebrew idea. This is a Greek idea. That yeah. God is absolute being, therefore, that's Pl- Plato's basic idea was God is absolute being, mm-hmm. which yeah, means all Incredible. that is occurs within the parameters of God. It's kind yeah. of a form of pantheism, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, so everything that is happening, including this podcast right now, already happened mm-hmm. from God's perspective because God transcends time and everything is like a chapter in a book that's already written but we just haven't caught up to that chapter yet. But the chapter's written. Yeah, That's mm-hmm. Plato. Then yeah. Aristotle, who was his primary student, came along and said, well, then if that's true, if God is absolute overall mm-hmm. and nothing can occur outside of God's mind and will and power, 
then God is the unmoved mover, which was yeah. the term coined by Aristotle. Unmoved mover means God is unmoved by anything that happens external to him because he is actually the locus of all external activity. He's yeah. causing it. Therefore, he couldn't be moved by it. So God can't be surprised. God can't feel pain. God mm -hmm. is unmoved, but he's the mover. He's pulling the strings. He's the mover, but he himself is void of emotions or void yeah. of what's what's called passion in, in the Latin. So then the Christians, you know, like, like uh, Augustine and, mm -hmm. and John Calvin much later, developed a doctrine that is known as the impassibility of God. And you hear the word pathos or passion in there. Mm -hmm. To say God is... Sovereign is to necessarily say God, well, not sovereign. God is sovereign, and we can talk about that in a minute. God is sovereign in the way God chooses to be sovereign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sovereignty in the Adventist view doesn't equate to control. God can mm -hmm. be sovereign yeah. overall, but not micromanaging everything. That, okay, but, that's but, a key thing that's right a big there. Distinction. So I want to come back yeah. to that. But yeah, that's huge. Okay, okay so let me build yeah. the, the, the connection, though, between... Yeah. So if you say that... that, that that God, if you begin with the premise of power and determinism and God controls all things and all outcomes, then necessarily you have to develop a doctrine of the impassibility of God. That is, God can't feel anything. So mm -hmm. what happened at Calvary or in the person of Christ in, in Protestant theology in general and Catholic, Catholic theology specifically, Christ was a projection Mm -hmm. for human interaction, but it wasn't authentic to God's experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like so God so when you see Jesus being tempted, he wasn't yeah. really tempted. He wasn't tempted. actually tempted. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he couldn't have actually sinned. He yeah. couldn't have. It's not that he simply didn't. He yeah, couldn't he have. Couldn't. And when he, he's suffering on the cross, this is, this is an illusion mm -hmm. for human consumption this is not something actually happening to god yeah mm -hmm. right because god transcends all of that yeah now, adventism comes along and adventism says that if god is love and that love is is authentic mm -hmm. right then god can suffer yeah mm -hmm. and therefore you can build a doctrine of solidarity Mm -hmm. That mm. God is in solidarity with the human race in its suffering. Yeah. Therefore, God mm. actually suffers and actually cares what happens to human beings. And when Jesus is tempted, he's really tempted. He really could have sinned, but he didn't. And when he suffers on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He mm -hmm. actually felt a chasm of separation. Yeah. psychologically and emotionally between yeah. himself and the other two members of the Trinity. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm out of that inner circle of love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he actually underwent that psychological trauma to the point yeah. that he sweat great drops of blood. And, and when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was authentic. That was real. And yeah. that's where Adventism has a doctrine that is unique among all Christians. And that yeah. is the doctrine of the second death. And this is where you get into, again, theological realism. So as Adventists, we have a particular anthropology. That is, what is a human being? 
we have a holistic view of the human being that the body and the mind are a seamless whole. Yeah. So when a person dies, for example, Mm -hmm. that person as a person is dissolved. Mm -hmm. There is no consciousness. Whereas in, in, you know, Plato's view, Aristotle's view, and subsequently, you know, Hellenized Christianity's view, their their anthropology is a is an anthropological dualism. Mm-hmm. There's the body, and there's the soul, and the soul is the real thing. And when the body dies, the soul survives the body in a conscious form. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, goes off to be with God or goes to hell. And is, yeah. and is tortured. You know, you go to heaven or hell when you die. Adventism comes along and says that the, the anthropology of a human being is a holism. It's holistic. Mm-hmm. That, that in order to be a conscious functional being, uh, a physical body is necessary to that conscious functionality, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're a whole thing. And, and the moment you die, that whole conscious thing is dissolved and decomposes and somebody grows tomatoes on your body and makes salsa. So, so that's Adventism. And the reason why that is important to understand is because Adventism then comes along and, and can understand what happens at Calvary. Hmm. Say more about that. Okay. So, so, so Calvinism or determinism or anthropological dualism cannot make sense out of what actually happens at the cross of Calvary because necessarily it has to be a, 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 an act. It has to be a projection yeah. Yeah. Be- because when Jesus dies, his soul survives. Now, yeah. according to the Mormons, yeah. <laughs> right. his soul survived and went to the Americas and witnessed to the American <laughs> Indians that they say were yeah. Jews, Yeah, um, which is really interesting because that means Mormonism is the only religion in the world that has been scientifically proven untrue because DNA <laughs> testing has been done now on all the American, uh, the indigenous peoples of the Americans. Yeah. Uh, once DNA testing like, you know, 23andMe and all that yeah. could be done, uh we know now that there's no Jewish blood in any of the the uh, uh, indigenous peoples of the Americas, from yeah. the Eskimos straight down to the Incas. There's no yeah. Jewish blood. They're all Asian. They're yeah. all Mongolian and Chinese, and they came across the Bering Strait where mm. Russia and Alaska connected and migrated south. Mm-hmm. The whole Book of Mormon is based on this story that when Jesus died, his soul went over yeah. to the Americas and witnessed to the lost tribes of the children of Israel who were yeah. over here in the Americas, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so that's a that's a totally different uh, <laughs> rabbit trail. Yeah, but that's, yeah. That's, 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 what, that's what Mormons do with the soul at death. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. there is this curious language in the Bible that, that, that evangelicalism doesn't know what to do with, and consequently nobody does anything with it in, except for Adventism. Three times in the Bible, you have this language, the second death mm-hmm. in the book of Revelation. So if there's a second death, that means by logical grammatical implication, there's a first death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's, so Adventism says there's the first death and there's the second death. The first death is, is merely what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do mm-hmm. not fear those that kill the body, the body, but, yeah. but are not able to kill the psyche. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so Adventists say, okay, when the human being dies, the body to from dust thou were taken to dust you will return. That's a yeah. fancy poetic way of saying you're going to decompose. So yeah. when Adventists believe that when a body dies, it decomposes in the earth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then in the resurrection, God reconstitutes a physical body and downloads the 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 software into the hardware so the, the personality mm-hmm. the the history the memories the all the stuff that made tie tie yeah is downloaded into a new better model a new yeah. a, like a tesla model body and, <laughs> and 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 so so then consciousness is reconstituted yeah the first death is merely the killing of the body and and the the psyche or the psychological dimension uh kind of goes into a dormancy, an yeah. unconscious dormancy. Yeah. It's unconscious, right? Like taking a hard drive out of a computer and putting it on a shelf. Yeah. And then, and then at the resurrection, you're reconstituted as a, a, a holistic creature. And we believe as Adventists that we will live, we don't actually believe in going to heaven for eternity. We believe in the new earth mm-hmm. yeah. and we're going to actually live on the soil of the planet forever mm-hmm. and ever. Yeah. Right. Um, so by con- so then we say the second death. Well, what is that then? Well, the Bible defines the second death is what is is what evangelicalism calls hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now evangelicalism has a problem with their anthropology because if the soul is nat- what we call natural immortality, if the soul can't die, mm-hmm. yeah. God Himself can't kill a soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. If, if natural immortality, when a person dies, the soul survives in a conscious, you have to put it somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it would be torment it as punishment. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it either goes to paradise, to heaven, or it goes to hell, or Catholics developed this limbo yeah. position, mm-hmm. this in between place called purgatory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So the soul, if it survives death in a conscious form, it has to go somewhere. Whereas Adventists come along and we say, no, 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 no. The second death is what Jesus experienced at Calvary. And it was primarily psychological and emotional. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this is why when Jesus in Gethsemane and then at Calvary, when we say, when we say that Jesus bore the sin of the world and he died for our sins, we mean something different than what evangelicals mean necessarily because of our anthropology Mm -hmm. yeah we don't believe when we say jesus suffered and died for our sins we don't believe god pounced on him Mm -hmm. god Mm -hmm. God punished him god kicked him and burned him and nailed him to the cross and made him that's the fairy tale overlay on -hmm. reality that's that's god doing something to supplement reality right yeah god is invisible right Whereas Adventists come along and we say, no, 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 no. Sin is an actual psychological phenomenon that produces the psychological phenomenon of shame, which Mm -hmm. is self-incrimination when you're morally out of harmony with with reality, out of harmony with love. Mm -hmm. To be out of harmony with love, which is the character of God, is to necessarily feel shame. Yeah, that's good. And if... If you feel shame psychologically and emotionally, it will destroy you from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So all human beings are operating without full consciousness 
in order to survive. That's why the whole world self-medicates on some level because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, we can't face ourselves. The gospel, according to Adventism, allows human beings to climatize to the love of God in a healing form rather than to be destroyed by it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I come to know huh, Jesus yeah. and he keeps loving me in the face of my sin and guilt. And mm-hmm. I said, no, no, wait a minute. But, 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 but I'm a wretch. And he said, I still love you. Mm-hmm. I become comfortable socializing with Jesus mm-hmm. so that my guilt and shame is overcome by his love mm-hmm. so that to use the words of Paul, sin and guilt loses its sting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, this is why Revelation says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What? What, what do you mean? If shame and guilt is adequately dealt with, oh, let, let me put it this way. Shame is a psychological phenomenon. It's not a, a fairy tale overlay. It's not something right. God is imposing. Right. I'm not guilty because God is shaking his finger at me. I'm guilty yeah. because I'm actually intrinsically out of sync with reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Out of, I'm out of sync with love. Yeah. yeah. Out of yeah. Sync right? with love. So I'm guilty. That's good. But then I self-medicate. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I binge watch and I smoke dope and I do whatever I have to do in order to navigate reality without facing myself. I self-justify. Mm-hmm. The, the, the biggest self-medication is religion. Religion yeah. is the best place Ooh. in the world to hide from God. Religion is. <laughs> so true. Because if I can develop a religious belief in which I can judge you, yeah. I can evade my own guilt. Because right. as long as you're worse than me, I'm, I'm cool. You can evade your own unalignment with love, with reality. That's right. That's right. Adventism comes along and says, hey, wait a minute. Guilt is an actual psychological phenomenon. And the love of God, your guilt guilt has to be dealt with in in one of a few ways. You either deal with your guilt by condemning others through a religious system that allows you to condemn others and be justified in doing so. Or you self-medicate with drugs, alcohol, obsessions and addictions and false personas, whatever, whatever it is you do, workaholism, anything you mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. that can fill the fill the space so you don't have to be alone with yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you can offload your shame by means of a quality of love mm. that just keeps on loving you even in the face of your sin and your shame. Mm. So another way of saying that would be. To be perfectly known and perfectly loved simultaneously mm. is the essence of our healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I can the, the face Keller. myself yeah. mm-hmm. in the light in the light of His love. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can so, face my myself. So and, the, and and Jesus bore our sin without the buffer. There was a separation that occurred, so He experienced the second death, but He kept loving us even in the face of the shame and guilt of our sin upon his psyche, right? So that when he died, he died with his love intact. Mm -hmm. And his resurrection was a real event. God didn't resurrect Jesus by fiat. It wasn't a gracious act. Yeah, yeah. Death couldn't hold him. He resurrected because love is the only eternally sustainable principle. And he died Mm. with love intact. Therefore, Mm -hmm. death and hell and sin and guilt and shame couldn't hold him. What do you mean by love is the only eternal, eternally sustainable yeah, principle? What does that, that mean? 
Say more about that. According to according to scripture and according to the Adventist worldview, love is life giving. Mm-hmm. It it is the uh, principle right. of life. Yeah. Got it. It yeah. is the so, principle of life. To love, love is existence. Yeah, love is existence itself. When we we don't say God is loving. That's good. We say God is love. The noun. Yeah. Right. So that everything that is true of God is true of God precisely because God is love. You can't, it's not a it's not a theologically, grammatically coherent statement to say God is love, but he's also justice. Yeah. No. God is love, therefore God is just. Right. Not yeah. justice yeah. itself. There's only one noun that yeah, describes is, the totality of God's yeah. identity. Mm-hmm. God is love. So are you saying that the hippies were right back in the 60s? Love is all you need. The hippies were you? right about a lot of things, <laughs> except, 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 for, uh, except for the polygamy that was going on in the hippie camps. What love looks like. Well, so so ta- you, you, said, you said a lot. And, and yeah, that was a lot. Uh, if, if, I hear you, if I hear you correctly, um, what I hear you saying is that Adventism has this, this react. I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it in, in a way that, you, that this is what you are saying. You're saying that Adventism has a perspective on life that matches with our felt reality. Yes. And so, as a result of that, when we look through all of what uh, uh, the, the not just the gospel, but then you take the Adventist flavor of 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 it, or at least what Adventists have have come to, that it isn't just okay. God is uh, controlling everything. He's so so. That's something I want to come back to. That God is so sovereign that he controls everything, that that right. doesn't make sense to us. It's like, okay, we're either robots or we're not. And if we're robots, then none of this matters. And, and so it's, it's just sort of, and, yeah. and love love doesn't really exist in that in that world. Okay, so that, we could say that that's a philosophical, it doesn't make sense. It's not our felt experience of it. Okay, so there's that. But then even past that, it's that that God is actually really in our story, not just yes. passively outside of it, but actually mm-hmm. actively in the yes. midst of it. And actually yeah. what you said, what you had said about um, God, oh, how did you say it? That Jesus did not come as like a form of of God, but actually like, oh yeah, it was about temptation. That God uh, uh, he was actually is, not, is not Superman. Or Jesus was not Superman in the sense that like, oh, like a bullet hits him and there's just nothing. Like it's like, there, there's yeah. something about that actually in the comic books, I think Superman got so powerful that it just started to get boring. And so they yeah. had to like introduce a kryptonite. But, but it's, there's no it's, vulnerability, yeah. Yeah, like if there's no vulnerability, it's just, okay, That's that can exist, but it, it's whatever. But it's the fact that Jesus showed up. And this and, and this is why this matters so much to me, Ty. And I think it's what you communicated, I believe so, in your book. This is actually like the defining shift in principle for me is that if Jesus showed up here, he knew what it was like to to, to be a teenage boy <laughs> with mm-hmm. everything that comes with that. He he knew what it was like to be attracted to the things that were destructive, and mm-hmm. yet he never actually gave in to those things. He lived a different right. way. But he yeah. he also it means, and you said solidarity that it knew he knew mm. he he knows what it why it would be so attractive to me. Right. He knows why I would want to do things the way that that I have done them in life. He he knows why I would be drawn to dealing with grief in that way as opposed to this way. He knows why it would be so much easier for me to cope uh, co- to, to use coping mechanisms in other ways instead of you know. It's like he gets it. He mm-hmm. gets that, and as a result yeah. of that, and, and then it's it's that Hebrews four fifteen. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, for he's tempted. Yeah. But then there's this there's the other part. 
Um, but he he did not he did not uh, see, but he, he didn't sin, and so therefore we can come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace and yes. help us in our time of need. There's that that reality that because of who God is, He understands, but He also is someone we can come to, not as a fellow faller in the fellow yeah. fellow weak weak mm-hmm. person in the world, but as someone who has who has, is 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 victorious over all that He has overcome. Yeah, yeah. That's a reality yeah. that was so powerful to me. And so when you said that, I was like, that was it. That was the thing that, that hit me. But then mm-hmm. even to go past that, if you were to talk about uh, death and the philosophical, the, the Greek philosophical ideas that have been put on to God, it's like, no, Adventism is actually sort of rejecting those things and saying, no, yeah. this is the biblical perspective that's laid out, um, at least from a Hebrew perspective, it's it's laid out. We are a soul. We're not two separate things uh, that there is that there uh, we're two separate things, but we're not we're not two separate things that exist apart from each other, that we are one right. united mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and from that, then there is. Jesus died that death that we ought to have died, the complete and utter separation from God. And therefore mm-hmm. we now have life. It couldn't hold him. He won the victory over it. Therefore we have, yeah. have, have but the, you said what you were saying at the end was really interesting that because of, Oh, how did well, I just lost my train of thought? Oh my word. It was about the death, the second death. No, it was right before that about, uh, Oh, Oh, that, that, that Jesus brings us back in in a, in a in a sort of oh, uh, overtime way that, that it's the healing it's the yeah. I hadn't heard that aspect of it um all of this to say if I if I'm hearing you correctly I'm going to be really honest with you and say you're saying this as adventism says this I don't hear a lot of adventists say this <laughs> well, so and, and I'm not I'm not arguing with you to say you're wrong what I'm saying is this actually kind of brings us to the big picture of this 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 conversation that we're having mm-hmm. is like what does it mean to be adventist because mm-hmm. what you're describing is something that i think has been intuitively attractive to me over the course of my life as people have either shared it with me or, or even reading your stuff or mm-hmm. as i've read through scripture on my own it's like yeah this this makes more sense i can't look at a god who would who would determine that some people wouldn't be saved and then burn them forever for not choosing him even though he was the one who chose that that doesn't make any sense to me um Okay, well, this 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 other way makes sense, but it's not the Adventism that was expressed over a long time. And you've talked about Adventism says this; people can say this. How how do you even get to a core of what Adventism is? Yeah. Okay, so I'm describing I'm describing the latent potential of Adventism, right? Mm. Not what we necessarily encounter in every single local Adventist church. The fact is Adventism is composed of humans. And so we as Adventists have engaged in our own version of reductionism. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. so say more about that. Okay. So, so the version, okay. What I'm describing is what Adventism actually teaches on kind of on paper, like the official Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, theological views of Adventism. And I'm putting them together um, in a way that uh, maybe a lot of people haven't heard, but, but this is what I'm describing is the Adventist doctrinal system. Yeah. But, but Adventism has been in many instances reduced to very simplistic little arguments. Like for example, Mm -hmm. Uh, our, our, our general like evangelistic message on the Sabbath or our Bible study on the Sabbath yeah. is a series of verses to prove 
that it's Saturday, not Sunday. Let us yeah. close with prayer. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay, what so Adventism I feel, is. Yeah. As an evangelist, <laughs> I feel like I've achieved the goal yeah. on the Sabbath doctrine by proving to you that it's Saturday, not Sunday. Uh, job well done. Mm-hmm. I, I, I proved to you that it's Saturday, not Sunday. But that misses the whole point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gospel doctrine. Mm. To prove to prove that it is simply Saturday and not Sunday is actually to create an immunity against the Sabbath. Hmm. So, so let me let me let me let me put you it. Gotta this say way. more about that. Yeah, say more about that. Okay, let me put it this way. I that's that is that just rings true in uh, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. So, so you could you could slice the pie like this. There are people who have the wrong day and the right theological paradigm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are people yeah. who have the right day and the, the wrong, wrong theological paradigm. paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That that felt like right? so much of what I experienced growing up. Same. When you said when you said latent potential, that actually gave me so much more of a framework to yeah. hold Adventist belief in tension with what I have experienced. Yes. Like, yeah. Like th- that's I love that phrase, latent potential. And then the reductionism of yeah, if this is the latent potential, but we've proven a day and not invited people into a theological paradigm, which yeah. is which is part of a greater thing, which is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, then, the Sabbath. Then, think what of is the Sabbath? Sabbath? It doesn't mean the anything. Sa- the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't merely right day versus wrong day. Mm-hmm. The the Sabbath is, you could say, you know, okay, once you get the right day, what does it mean? Yeah. yeah, it's rampack full of theological significance. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath teaches the doctrine of justification by faith or salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. It is the Sabbath is a doctrine that aligns itself against salvation by works. Mm-hmm. You so, can't but work you your could way. reduce yeah. it to yeah. salvation by works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could oh, make yeah. it into well, the yeah. very thing that it is. Yeah. Yeah, you can make it into the very thing that it's not. Wow. So the Sabbath teaches finished work of creation. Yeah. God God created the world, rested on the seventh day. Human beings were created on the latter part of the sixth day and woke up to a finished work of creation and were <laughs> yeah, given creation as a gift. Yeah. Adam and Eve couldn't point to anything and say, you see that squirrel? You see yeah, that right. tree? You see that platypus? God and I, we did that together. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. God created it all and gave it to them as a gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they rested in God's achievements and yeah. then participated that's, that's in good. creation as stewards. And then yeah. the Bible goes on from there to say that uh, the Sabbath is not only a memorial of finished creation, but it is a memorial of finished salvation. Yeah. Jesus mm. accomplished salvation with no human contribution from me or you or anybody else Mm -hmm. so that I receive salvation as a free gift of grace. And Mm -hmm. I live, I live from a position of salvation, Mm -hmm. not toward the achievement of salvation. It's the new creation. It's it's, anything I do within salvation is is a is a stewardship and a partnership with God. Yes. Not yes. because I have I have come no into merit. that place. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I don't earn any brownie points. There's no favor. You could say it like this. The, the Sabbath teaches this. This is the Sabbath doctrine. There's nothing I can do to earn God's favor simply and profoundly because I already have it. Yeah. Mm, That's yeah. the Sabbath. Now yeah. imagine if we were to preach the Sabbath like <laughs> so that. Good. Right? Yeah. 
The Sabbath yeah. also yeah. teaches, the Sabbath is also, this is purely from a biblical standpoint. Um, although we don't often teach this, right? But I'm just saying it's there, latent yeah. potential in the Sabbath doctrine. The Sabbath doctrine is an equalizing, it's an egalitarian principle. Mm-hmm. So, so the Sabbath teaches a flattening out of reality before God so that all human beings are equal before God. Yeah. Every seventh day, the Sabbath is a protest against all oppression, mm-hmm. injustice. Anti-Babylon, yeah. Yeah, it's against yeah. everything that would oppress or put any human being under in inequality to another human being. The yeah. Sabbath says, no, we're all equal before God. And therefore, it's a solidarity doctrine. Yeah. We don't we don't hear that. We don't teach that. That's why I say, you know, that Adventism possess you guys. Adventism <laughs> possesses the latent potential to communicate the most beautiful picture of the character of God the world has ever seen, short of Jesus Himself in the flesh, and what the apostles preached to turn the world upside down in the first century. I think Ty it's believes in Adventism. I, yeah. I think I think Ty believes in Adventism. I, I think <laughs> that's what I've got it. But I mean, I I think Ty, what I mean, maybe to <clears throat> circle back to Jesse's question and to move it a little. I think, like what you've said and what you've shared, and that you you know your ta- your words about latent potential. Like this is, I think, what happened to me, but it didn't happen until seminary. And I think for me, growing up as an Adventist, all this latent potential stuff, I I I never learned any of this. And like the version of Adventism that I think myself and many of us received growing up was what you described as like the Sabbath is Saturday, not Sunday. We don't eat pig. You know, like you better take that pepperoni off your pizza. Um, there's no secret rapture. There's that's no the secret rap- coming doctrine. Yeah. Right. When yeah. you're dead, you're you're dead. The dead know not anything. It's it's like all of the proof texting stuff, all of the the simplified what, what you shared. But it wasn't until seminary, till I was, you know, 29, 30 years old as a pastor, you know, on top of that where I actually was able to catch a vision because of specific professors at seminary who of the latent potential. And then when I caught mm. that vision, I was like, Oh, this is Adventism. All that other yeah. stuff. Like that was, that was just a, 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 a faint shadow of the, of the deep potential. Well, and I like, the, I like the word that you used to reductionist. Like it, yeah, it reductionist. really is. It's a reducing of a, of, a reducing of something down. like you even said yeah. to the point of, of it being, the literal opposite of what it was meant of what it was meant to be. To mean, and, yeah. Yeah. and so the question for you then is, and this, is, this could be maybe connected to so many, maybe even almost every episode we've ever done on, the, on this podcast <laughs> is if Adventism has this latent potential, if this is what Adventism really is, what's actually real when <laughs> in the real world, most Adventists at your local church don't even know, let alone are able to articulate what you've articulated here. And even for me, as a pastor who went to undergrad theology, I wasn't able to articulate it until seminary and still now learning. So... How, you how just ask what's it, real? Is it really Adventism? Is it really Adventism? What's yeah, actual what, Adventism? It, yeah. Is what you have described, and then I asked the same question of my professors at seminary, is what you are proposing as the potential, is it actually Adventism when in reality, since the beginning, not the beginning, but the majority of Adventist since history. fairly early on. Since yeah. fairly early on, it, it has been reductionized. It has been reduced to these bites. It has been reduced to, at times, the opposite of the very thing that it's supposed to be. W- w- what is Adventism? 
Well, Adventism uh, was intended to be a single generation revolution. Once any human movement becomes a multi-generation machine, Mm. there's going to be all of the problems that come along with uh, having to have a, a health insurance plan and a 401k plan and employees that get salaries. And, you know, it, it's it's an organizational system mm-hmm. that has its downsides uh, because mm-hmm. but it but it has the potential to be a revolution, a theological uh, revolution. And we have our work cut out for us. Uh, I mean, we need mm. to. We, we need to, the, the real potential for Adventism uh, lies at the local church level. Mm. So there's never going to come a point at which some edict of Adventist potential is handed down mm-hmm. from some kind of high Council. corridors, you know? Mm-hmm. We, we, we desperately need um, people at the local level who begin to experience and 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 understand what Adventism is, and for local churches to be shaped in the direction of Adventist potential. And quite frankly, a lot of local churches cannot be shaped in this direction. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so there needs to be mm-hmm. Adventism needs a church planting movement. Um, but it's kind of hard because you have the financial and organizational component. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you'd have to like. You know, you have to up. be willing to be kind of a missionary almost with no salary to to, to plant an Adventist church. Um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I, it's, 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 wow. it's, it's challenging. So wow. th- that question, though, what, what's real, is that just sort of the tension that we'll have to sit with yeah. if we want what, to what be What is Adventist? really Adventism? It's a tension not to sit with. It's a, it's, it's a tension to move to run from mm. And, mm. and and we should be very proactive in our in in our voices should be active voices to 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 help reintroduce adventists to adventism mm. in the light of the gospel i i mean we we have a crisis on our hands you know, we let me just give you a, a basic breakdown of how serious the crisis is. Mm-hmm. For example, we say there are, that we have 22 million members, right? This is what this is the number we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, we we're impressed with that number in a population mm-hmm. of eight billion people. The number is <laughs> not impressive, even if that number were true. Yeah. The reason we say we have 22 million members is because that's how many names we've written down of people we've baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But we also right. keep other records. We also keep attendance records. And we know that worldwide, really, we only have about 6 million people that are actually showing up. Wow. Mm, I didn't know right? that number. Wow. And, that, and that's why we have whole <laughs> departments wild. at, we have whole departments that are called missing and inactive members mm-hmm. that yeah. we're trying to figure out, well, what do you, like if you go to any local church, I, I just do this. Mm-hmm. Go to any local church and say, how many members do you have? Whatever number they give you, they say mm-hmm. 100, 500, 1,000. Yeah. You can cut it in half right. with the next question. How many people attend? I th- how many people I, Ty, show Ty, up? I would actually say you could cut it in half and cut it in half again. I think it's more like a quarter. Well, for it, the it, North it, American for... division, it's only 37%. Yeah, it's so, wild. So, yeah. so 37%... Of the names on the books actually is attend. what are actually showing up and participating. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we have an emergency on our hands. So, but the, yeah, and, and actually, I think part of the reason I paused 
we have these conversations in real time. And so like, it's, these aren't just meant to be conversations where, um, you know, we're just having, you know, we're having a nice conversation about a, a, a topic. It's like, this is actually shifting and molding my perspective and our perspectives in real time. And you're saying this it, podcast is in exercise in solidarity that it's happening in real time in reality as reality yes. actually is this, happens is this podcast real yeah that's that are is, we real? That is what i'm attempting to say <laughs> are you are, 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 are you for are you for ai generated characters right <laughs> that'll be next actually then yeah. then we wouldn't have to do this but uh but no <laughs> but uh it's not in the budget no, yet i i say it because um what you said about we have to what you what do you, how did you say it? you said we have to be proactive re reintroduce re, adventism, reintroduce adventism, adventism, adventism. To yeah that actually like i've probably thought of that concept before but i don't know it's something about the the way that you said it and in the context of everything that we're talking about that we were even just talking before we we got on about what we want from this podcast and what we want to do we've been mm-hmm. friends we've grown up in adventism like we, we've all in in our own way in our own times been part of a movement within adventism to push it forward um whether it's right now or or previously or you know in the future like we've all been part of that so we care deeply about it and we've been talking about like well this podcast what do we want to do and and actually what you had just said is i think what we were saying without even realizing we were saying it and is a piece of what it sounds like you're already doing with light bearers um and what you've been trying to do for a for maybe most of your time in Adventism. Um, but yeah, that yeah. that is actually, I think, the most compelling sentence for me to hear as somebody who is involved in Adventism, especially in like leadership positions. Well, there are a lot of Adventists who are who are what you might call cultural Adventists. They yeah. were born and raised in the system. Yeah. And so it's their culture, it's their upbringing, and they can't imagine existing outside of the Adventist culture because there's no fried chick out there. There's no, (laughs) you know, where, where do you, where are you going to, you know, so, so it's a, it's a culture, but, but uh, what our people need to be introduced to is their rich, beautiful, amazing theological paradigm of Adventism that paints a picture of the character of God that is intellectually and emotionally attractive. Yeah. If I could, if I could even just point out that what it's striking me as like, we've been asking this question of a lot of people, what is an Adventist? And what is striking me as the key thing is what is your even basic premise of what an Adventist of what, what is the basic premise of it all to Mm -hmm. you? And when you say God is love is the basic premise, and because of that, it 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 all of the therefores that flow from that are mm. are uh, what's the right word? In they're in Adventism, like they're they're expressed within Adventism. Intrinsic, yeah, yeah. That that is that is a a premise that gives uh, what's the right word? It, it gives weight to what is happening. Whereas mm-hmm. what I have heard from other people um, in our arguments is like. There's there's different ideas like you know we're supposed to preach the three angels message, yes, but like that's like that's that's that it just doesn't feel as emotionally attractive to me when that's the premise of what mm-hmm. Adventism is, right? It's a piece of what it is, sure, but it's not if it, if that's the premise, then it is we, it feels like it's missing so much. Yeah. Um, well, and then, what the first angels message begins, you know, with with the everlasting gospel. 
Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. And 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 you could and someone could argue, well, God is love is 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 in there, but but it's a different foundational starting point. And what's interesting is your foundational starting point is not within a doctrine of Adventism, in 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 the in the in the, in the unique sense. It's not a distinctive. Yeah, it's in the most fundamental idea about the character of God that you could even ask. That's your that's your premise, which bleeds into Adventism for you. Whereas I think what I've yeah. I've the, maybe the exercise we have been doing over a lot of our episodes is is well, are the Adventist distinctives like are they are they um, are they what makes us Adventist, or is it these other things? And it's just it's just a different premise. It it seems it seems to me that it's a different premise, and because of that premise, it's holistic. What you're saying is holistic, as well, opposed prim- to just a premise, reductionist. The yeah. premise that I've described was given to me by y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. By the way, what was the book? Adventism, He's the outsider. I didn't, I didn't make this up. <laughs> Adventism gave me the priceless gift of the God is love premise. And by Adventism, I mean, you mean Ellen. True? Uh, I mean, well, the Adventist, the Adventist belief system begins with the, the character of God, with the, the Trinity, right? Oh, that yeah. God is a communitarian yeah. being. True. But yeah, yeah uh, my introduction, uh, you know, the Conflict of the Ages series by Ellen White, the first three words of the first book in the series, the first chapter, the first three words, God is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last three words of the last book in the series, God is love. It's yeah. like two bookends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that conflict of the ages series is basically narrative theology mm-hmm. uh, rather than. That's than true. The, I'd never thought of it like that. Yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah. It's just telling the story of scripture and the doctrines occur organically within that story. Yeah. 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 Because it's, it's, by the way, Ty, I didn't want to pull this, but uh, when you say y'all, I mean, you've been an Adventist for longer than the four of us have been alive. So I just, I just want to say that. <laughs> I just meant Adventism no, I right. gave I me this theological paradigm. And I only I said y'all because I moved from the West Coast to Tennessee a couple of years ago. Oh, now, yeah. So so now I've, been learning, I've been learning <laughs> how to not. say y'all. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just giving you a hard time. I, they say I, all kinds of things down here that I've had to, you know, is that, are you, are you sure? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm learning that in Texas. So, yeah. So uh, switching gears a little bit more as I've been listening, Ty, and there's a lot to listen in on here. One of the things I actually enjoy doing is going back on the conversation after we've we've posted it and listened back. And I always learn something new from everyone I listen to after the fact, because there's a lot here. Um, mm-hmm. when, when we look at how you've proposed for us to, and you briefly mentioned the idea of there needs to be a reintroducing of Adventism and, and like the idea of being this this gospel worker that goes off maybe independently of the church into Adventism. How does how do you make that tangible? How do we look at your vision of Adventism or or what you think needs to happen to the Adventist church and the way that we propose this Adventist framework? What's the first step to that? How do we how do we really start doing that beyond just this conversation? How you know people that are listening, there's Many people that listen that are Adventist teachers, that are pastors, that mm-hmm. are just normal, you know, members. Where do we all start? Well, I this? think every every local church, if it has a core group of individuals who understand or are beginning to understand the gospel significance of Adventism, mm-hmm. the gospelizing of Adventism, 
that every local church should plant a church because mm-hmm. you're not going to you're not going to steer the Titanic away from the, the iceberg, so to speak. You know, you can rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, but 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 a local church is a, is has its own history. Right. It has its own. You know, there's a lady named Diana who's had the music program at a headlock for 45 years. Are you going to get it out of her control? I don't know. You might you might be more tactful and you might be able to, you know, steer something in a different direction. Um, A local church has its own kind of stasis. Right. Mm -hmm. But if there's a core group of individuals who are beginning to understand the potential of Adventism, I think every local church should become a plant church planting movement. Mm -hmm. Why not plant a church, you know? Uh, that that understands this, but has the financial backing mm-hmm. of the body, but you don't have to fight the fights that you would have to fight here mm-hmm. over, you know, traditional ideas that aren't doctrinal. You know, we have to distinguish one of one of the pitfalls of traditional religion in general, and Adventism is not immune to it, is moralizing everything. Just because yeah. you have a strong opinion about something doesn't mean it's the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. Mm. You, we, mm-hmm. Everything's not a moral issue. Everything's yeah. not a doctrinal issue. You know, we we Ellen White, you brought her, you brought her up, Anthony. Yeah. Ellen White was a theological minimalist. Yeah. Mm. So what she do you mean advocated, by that? yeah. Well, she advocated for a short list of beliefs that would allow for lots of wiggle room. She didn't advocate for a long list of requirements. She mm-hmm. advocated for a short list of common Was it less connective than tissue <laughs> and then go out and be missionaries, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she yeah. was a doctrinal minimalist and a missional progressive. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So that's Alan White. I mean, so, so, so a local church has a lot of like background and history and culture but why not plant a church that has more ability to develop the theological beauty of Adventism? Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Do you have a Do you have a model for? <laughs> sorry if I'm pushing too hard on this, but I hear that and it sounds exciting, but also super intimidating and above what I even know how that would look like. And I feel like a lot of well, it would it would for you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do I do have a model, and I've written it all up, and I can send it to you outside of this oh, conversation. Totally. I planted oh, cool. a church called the Storyline Church in Eugene, Oregon, um, and it was it was planted on this premise okay. that we're talking about. Yeah, and we and yeah, we have cool. a, a, a a situation where. Uh, you know, we, we could create a new DNA that is mm-hmm. theologically robust, doctrinally robust. But um, I've I've uh, started Storyline on the premise that we, Storyline, the local church, the local church exists for them, not for us. Mm-hmm. So so all the all the preaching, the language, the singing, everything assumes the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. assume the Adventists. Yeah, yeah it, it assumes that the even if, but they said, well, oh, this Sabbath morning, Ty, what if only Adventists are present? We're still going to assume the unbeliever mm-hmm. yeah, in order to create a culture 
that is evangelistic in its orientation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that actually, that what you said at the end there helps me because you were saying too, like we're reintroducing Adventism to Adventists. So whether or not it's an unbelief, because we're still doing the mission work where mm -hmm. you do have people mm -hmm. that, you know, don't know anything about the gospel, whether they're Christian or, or atheist, yeah. atheist or agnostic, whatever they may be. Um, but then also Adventists need the Adventist framework as much as the unbeliever does, it seems yes. like from, from your perspective. Yeah. So now there are, there are church planting movements that arise sometimes in Adventism, but as a general rule, not all the time, probably though, I don't know any exceptions to this. It, the church planting occurs as an antagonistic mm -hmm. movement to the, ex and it, they only plant their churches in Adventist ghettos in Adventist mm -hmm. meccas. Because essentially they're saying, they're not saying, hey, we're going to talk to unbelievers. We're going to win atheists and unbelievers and people who don't know God. They're planting a church in order to move some Adventists over to a more groovy service. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, Jesse, so Jesse, what do you have to say about church, that? To, to plant a church, to plant a church on the I also premise work at of groovy, one, so. to plant a church on the premise of grooviness is not really planting a church. Yeah, 100%. It's just Sean, saying, hey, you can come over here. We're a little more liberal. Sean, I, I, have, to, I have to respond to you. Yes, <laughs> I work with Anthem, which is a church plant of Loma Linda University Church, which is more groovy than the main church. It's called what? But, Anthem? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It's okay. it, the, the, it, that is part of the issue. And actually, Randy Roberts was talking about it in a in a meeting we had recently. Just like, yeah, it's especially down here in SoCal. It's just like it's moving people around based off of whatever is the yeah. newest thing. And it's just it 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 ultimately becomes and it, it is it's crazy, especially down here in SoCal. It's like we have the most resources that we could have in Adventism, really, like in, in a local area. Mm -hmm. And it's like we don't do enough. For the, so know, why not go plant have. a church in Redondo Beach or well, Pocatello, so, Idaho? Well, that's actually one of the things. Some, like with Anthem, yeah. with Anthem, like that's one of the things that I want to see happen in the future is to to be able to have a healthy, you know, core that is able to then to then plant off in other yeah. places, especially in this in this environment within Adventism. It's like, I, I mean, man, I've looked at some of the. I remember I, I got a, a, a someone told me like, hey, this conference might be calling you because they're, they're potentially interested in in a position there. And so I went and looked at the, at the conference, like it was like one of the States out East. I went and like just searched some of the Adventist churches in su such, such a place. And I was like, this is rough. Like I've been in these churches and mm -hmm. I mean, there's probably the, the few there that are like really healthy, vibrant, love Jesus, preach the gospel sort of churches. But like, I've been in most of the rest of these, not actually, but just like in my life. And it's like this is not a space that our young people are going to go into and be like they're speaking right. a language that actually that actually makes sense to me. And so yeah. it's like and to some not, degree. Why not plant churches that are? Why not plant churches that are not performative? Well, and that, but, but rather, that's but a, rather are communal. That's well. That's an interesting mm. thing. Then all you is, need is a house. Well, but that's what's mm -hmm. interesting is a lot of house churches are struggling to survive because it's hard to get past the initial group of people. It's like you have your initial beginning group that has so mm -hmm. much passion, so much energy, but then they'll burn out over time if it's just them. So you have to draw other people in. And so that's where like having a larger church isn't a bad thing because you have the resources so people can take breaks and you know, all that stuff. But, but, but then what large churches will do is they'll become performative and think that that is in an essence 
the the thing. It's like, no, it's not. And and a lot of our younger generations, Gen Z and, and beyond, are just like, yeah, like I've this, I've seen this. This is what this is the church I grew up in. Is a is a is a contemporary church. Mm-hmm. It's not any different. Like it's not any different than than anything else. I don't have a community there. People aren't loving me there. It's like it's it's yeah. wild how we miss the mark on either side. And so it's you know whatever it is, it has to be some element of that. Uh, mm-hmm. that that core reality we actually have a good message that that what you're mm-hmm. talking about that is also um encouraged by the fact that it's speaking to to a group of people in their language whatever that might be mm-hmm. either through music or through through preaching or through the words that are used or whatever it is but but that's the challenge though i i will i the, that's the only thing i would push back on what you're saying ty is that starting a church is it's a lot. Like you need it's to have hard. a, you got to have a, yeah. a, a a personality for it too. I think like you have to have mm-hmm. an entrepreneurial spirit to start a church. That's right. And I, I think there's people out there who really do someone have on the that. Team who has it? Yeah. Yeah. There's people out there who do have it and, and and are doing it or could do it. And maybe that's something that you're hearing this like maybe that's what I have to do. But but for many people, um, like who don't don't have that spirit, like what is the thing that that ends up being their their thing? In, in the church, if if it's not, I I, I don't have that core group of people mm. in in my local church. Like, what is what is that? And and it might be as simple as what you're doing with Arise, and it might be as like you know uh, your discipleship course in in, in Lightbearers, like coming out to something like that to to learn what is this, what is Adventism, and how yeah. can I bring it to my local space? But like, I mean, maybe even to plug a little bit of what you're doing for for someone who can't just be like, I'm going to go start a church tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, we, I I think that I think that what I meant by saying what about planting churches that are not performative but rather communal, mm-hmm. um, like if you look at Acts chapter two, there's a little bit of preaching that's going on, but what's really going on is socialization, yeah, eating together, um, being together, and and then providing for the needs of the people around them that Mm -hmm. aren't a part of the community. So I think that, that a church plant would, would experience more growth if the emphasis was on finding needs in the community that the group of 10 or 20 people, let's say you have a group, a, a church plant of 10 or 20 people meeting in a home every Sabbath, rather than it just being a message and singing yeah, which is fine. You know, yeah, yeah. we need to be theologically educated, and singing is 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 good. Uh, yeah. Praising God is good, but but what if the real thing, the real thing, mm-hmm. was the the social engagement with the community, and to find out, for example, what Storyline? I'll give one example of what Storyline did. We knew that there was a very big problem uh, with uh, sexual violation on college campuses mm. um a very high percentages her percentage of girls their first year of college um like one out of four girls mm. their first year of college in america is raped or sexually assaulted mm-hmm. on on wow. campus wow uh, and there's a there's sexual assault awareness month in in the, the nation because this is such a big problem of, of, of girls being raped on college campuses so mm. we started a project called the, the Solidarity Project, the Solidarity Wall. And we would just go on a college campus and build a massive graffiti wall. Mm-hmm. And we would then go all over the campus inviting students to come and express 
their outrage against sexual assault and those who do such things mm-hmm. and their their mercy, compassion and love for those who have been sexually assaulted. And we provide multicolored, big, fat markers. And within a few few couple days, this wall is just covered with messages. I see you and love you. It wasn't your fault. Works wow. of art, all this graffiti and girls standing there at the wall weeping wow. and telling their stories of, yeah, I was raped last semester right over there behind that building. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it created... It, it gave us connection with people on a real issue without preaching theology to them. So in other words, we weren't on campus to say, hey, do you guys know what the mark of the beast is? Or do you mm-hmm. know what, which day is the Sabbath? That's not scratching where they're itching. There's mm-hmm. nobody on that college, secular college campus who's wondering which day is the right day to go to church. There's mm-hmm. nobody yeah. on this campus who's wondering if the 144,000 is a literal or symbolic number. <laughs> right. I don't care. These are not right. questions, you know, but they are concerned about sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And that is a God is love issue. Yeah. So you see what I did yeah. with that? Yeah. yeah. So good. theologically, we believe God is love. Therefore, yeah. therefore what? Therefore, yeah. we're against sexual assault. We're against mm-hmm. coercion. Yeah. We're, we're against any kind of forced sexual anything. God is love becomes missional. Yeah, exactly. So then you're on campus having all these great conversations. And this isn't just a a Sabbath thing. This is during the week. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. You know, and we're, we have a rotation of members that are going there. We also, I'll give another example. Um, I grew up doing graffiti, so I guess there's a theme here. So, (laughs) so, so we would go to the city and say, Hey, we noticed that this bridge and this wall is covered with profanity and ugly stuff. Uh, can we do beautiful art there for the city? Mm-hmm. And then we would just do beautiful art over all the graffiti. And then nobody wants to come and defile that with anything because it's beautiful. Uh, another thing we, we did as storyline is we know there is a bunch of kids that are going to school. Come, it's coming up in September. They're going back to school. And so we provide backpacks and shoes mm-hmm. to, to children in the community that don't have, and they line up, mm-hmm. they line up for backpacks and shoes. What size, what size are you? You know, and little Lisa says, I'm a size four. Okay, here's a size four and here's your backpack. And yeah. now we have a right to exist in that community. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah, Ty, I, you know, maybe as we turn towards wrapping up here, um, I, I kind of want to, you know, we'd sent you questions ahead of time. I kind of want to maybe synthesize the final two into one and connect it maybe to where we started, which is the okay. question, um, you know, the church, a lot of the, I think, impetus for why we wanted to do this series is because, you know, I think there's confusion at times of what is Adventism really, right? A lot of us experience it in different ways and there's different voices saying different things, you know, um, you know, and we've experienced that in this series quite a bit. Um, right. We've had president Wilson express different views. We've had Randy Roberts, you know, um, we've had Tim Gillespie all across the board and a bunch of other names all expressing different views on, Hey, this is what Adventism is. Um, and I, I guess I wonder for you, in a in a space like Adventism that is so 
expansive. It seems like it's a, a big continuum or a spectrum of belief, you know, where one side could say, this is Adventism. Drinking coffee is a sin. And an- another perspective can say, this is Adventism. God is love is the most fundamental, you know, principle. And that's, of course, a generalization. But when you have such an expansive spectrum of belief, and at times in, in, in our time, be- seems to be becoming more and more polarized, right? Religiously and politically, at least in the NAD in particular, where the perspectives are more and more polarized, it, it feels like it's harder to have conversations between the, the lanes. How do you maintain that same, I guess, faith tenacity that you had growing up? Mm. What keeps you in the church? What gives you hope? And yeah, I guess what what keeps you around? What gives you hope? And, and how do you navigate such a wide spectrum? Well, first of all, I... I practice as a as a a chosen discipline to not major in minors. Um, I don't mm. think that we are served well by playing a zero sum game with people who have different perspectives. So I believe that yeah, within the parameters of Adventist, let's. I mean, this isn't great language, but it's the language that's coming to mind. Um, there's a lot of wiggle room within Adventist orthodoxy, hmm. right? So, so I don't need you to agree with me on everything to consider you my brother in Christ, um, because because we, as brothers in Christ, have a bigger mission that's outward focused, and so I don't really believe it's helpful to accentuate the conservative liberal split in Adventism for a number of reasons. One mm. reason why is because they're no different than each other. Um, mm. There's only, there's only mm-hmm. two things. There's the gospel of Christ, mm-hmm. and then there's legalism. Mm. And within the parameters of legalism, there's conservative legalism and there's liberal legalism. Ooh. Say, say more about that. There's, there's short list legalism and there's long list legalism. Mm-hmm. But it's the same basic character. So the conservatives and the liberals in the wider American culture, as well as in Christianity and, and, and also, you know, to some significant degree in our own version of Christianity, um, there's a problem because the conservatives and the liberals have one vital thing in common. Mm-hmm. They hate each other. So that that antagonism toward one another is of the same essential spirit. It's the same cloth. It's the same thing. So in the time of Christ, it was the conservatives and the liberals, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who united to crucify grace, mm-hmm. yeah. to crucify love in the person of Christ. Mm. I, If somebody says to me, hey, Ty, are you a conservative or a liberal? I say, yeah. Hmm. I don't think it's a helpful discussion. As, as Soren Kierkegaard said, the crowd is untruth. Hmm. The, mo- the moment I am, am thinking in terms of what group am I with, this is, by hmm. the way, what Ellen White decried as what she called the party spirit. Hmm. I'm with that group. No, well, I'm with that group. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm with Jesus, that means I love you and I love you. 
Mm-hmm. And and I know wonderful That's good. people who are conservative in their orientations. And I know wonderful people who are liberal in their orientations. And I know people who are a pain in the neck on both <laughs> ends of the spectrum. Right? Yeah, for sure. Right? So, mm-hmm. so really, I don't think we should be dividing the church over non-essentials. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think we need to we need to Jesus said, you know, you strain gnats and you swallow whole camels. <laughs> well, I think part of yeah. the, the the challenge is that I think the sides end up dividing themselves, right? Like the yeah. like one side will say like, no, this is we're willing to die on this hill and then the other is saying, no, yeah. we're willing to die on this hill. That's, and I but, think we that's, need to we only willing to die on the gospel hill. So and, you're advocating and, for a third way, is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I actually almost started a ministry called Third Voice, hmm. um, uh, that was based on the idea of the 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 third voice in in uh, in literature is the narrating voice. Yeah. The mm-hmm. voice that's telling the story, and the third voice in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit that yeah. is speaking to everybody all the time, trying to get you know <clears throat> inch into our thinking. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that the conservative, I don't think conservative liberal rhetoric is helpful, even in American politics. I mean, people are constantly talking about the right and then they have broad brush strokes of what Mm -hmm. that is or the Mm -hmm. left and broad strokes of what that is. So, so I think it's more helpful to speak in terms of principles so, hmm. so like, for example, listen to this text of scripture. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly and to love mercy and mm-hmm. to walk humbly with your God. That's yeah. the conservative do justly. That's the conservative mm-hmm. end of the spectrum. Love mm-hmm. mercy. That's mm-hmm. the liberal end of the spectrum. Yeah, and be both. humble about it because you're as much of an idiot as anybody else. <laughs> you are as liable to fail. Yeah. You are as liable to veer off course as anybody else. So there needs to be a lot of humility. And, you know, I often say to people, uh, you know, I know a lot of over the years, there have been a number of conservatives that got exhausted by the conservative branch of Adventism. Yeah. And and then they balanced out and came center and then began to overshoot the mark. And now they're judgmental toward the conservatives. Yeah. And I say, mm-hmm. okay, well, you're judging them for where you were last mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So so maybe, maybe if you took the judgment out of the conversation, mm-hmm. you could actually have dinner with them and you guys could be friends. And you could actually have conversations that are developmental and, and, and move, move us forward rather than mm-hmm. just categorizing people as, mm-hmm. okay, you're that and I'm this. Well, yeah. two weeks mm-hmm. ago, you were that. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute here, mm-hmm. fella, buddy, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you are not fundamentally better than anybody. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think, I think that, uh, I think that, I think that mean Polarizing speech is just driving people in. Basically, before the internet had algorithms that put us in silos by only talking mm-hmm. to us in the voice that agrees with our voice, yeah, we already we already had an algorithmic effect 
Yeah. Uh, where I only listen to and I only read and I only pay attention to voices that agree with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't yeah. listen. <laughs> I can't have a conversation with anybody who is slightly to my right or slight, slightly to my left. I mean, mm-hmm. why not? Why right. Not? Because because the perception on at least, and this is again, this is personal. Pers- this is Anthony's personal opinion. The the perception, as I see it, on the right is often well that content over there has an agenda and that agenda is formative. So we need to avoid that agenda. And then the perspective on the left is your words and perspectives themselves are damaged to me. So I need to, I need to silence yeah. you. So, so there is this impasse essentially. Or we can just, or we can just preach the Adventist message immersed in the gospel as a balancing effect to both. So, mm. so you've heard of the great Advent movement. Have you ever heard of the great advent pendulum? That's what we got going on. The mm. thing swings mm. and then it swings and then it swings and then it swings. But it doesn't but, but ever never, really go ever, anywhere. Ever. Right. It doesn't go anywhere. Never, yeah. never does one extreme correct another. Yeah. Mm. One extreme actually accentuates the other. Because mm. I'm going to dig in my heels if you come at me with your fists up. Mm-hmm. But if you come at me with a bowl of spaghetti... And you want to be my friend? Now we can have a conversation. Yeah, mm, yeah. Because I like spaghetti. So there's 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 the social component to to the whole thing. Yeah. And as long as we will not have a conversation mm. with anybody True. who sees things differently because we've demonized them, oh man, we're in trouble before we even get off the ground. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Well. I just want to thank Eric for speaking so much today. And we, <laughs> I'm just absorbing. Uh, <laughs> it is no, a lot. I, Ty, I just want to say thank you. Really um, rich. We, we have been wrestling with this question for the last um, few months. And I, I really appreciate your perspective because there is something to, I mean, we talk about the liberal conservative divide. I think a lot of it is because we grew up in it. Um, mm-hmm. or at least we grew up in the conservative, more traditional spaces and sure. have since then, I don't even want to say have, have even shifted our perspectives way outside of that as much as just like a lot of the cultural elements of what was in some of those spaces was not mm-hmm. good and did not make God feel alive and, and good compelling. and love. Yeah. And yeah. compelling yeah. to us. And so I think that's, that's where a lot of the space for us comes from is like, that was our experience in those places. And then we have plenty of other friends and I see plenty of people. I mean, here in Loma Linda, we have like, you know, people talk about young adults as like a, as a monolith, but it's like, there's plenty of young adults at Advent Hope, which is like a, a far more traditional conservative expression of church. And it's, and it's good. Like, I'm glad that we have it. But um, what you're advocating for is, if I could put it in a nutshell, is that Adventism has a hold on reality in a way that it doesn't have to do all these, these leaps to, to make this thing true. And then second, that the way to hold that Adventism is to, is to preach that gospel, the, the latent potential of it all, mm. and to focus mm-hmm. less on who believes what in, in other ways to that, rather just to continue down that path. It's almost like the it's, the dog, it's the dogged path of just keep going forward instead of getting sucked off into, into another pathway to either direction. 
And that in and of itself mm-hmm. will, that's kind of when, when you said the pendulum thing and I was saying like, there's never any movement. It's kind of, it's, that's kind of what's true. It's like, as long as we keep doing this, that's, that's what I was thinking of at least. As long as we keep doing this and arguing about, well, that's why we don't go over there. And that's why we don't like that over there. It, mm-hmm. You actually, you don't get any movement out of it. It's a lot of movement yeah. in the same exact place. And, mm-hmm. and we have been guilty of that. I've been guilty of, of that, that spirit. And maybe less so than some of the, my more extreme friends on either direction, but like, it's it's still not constructive in its in its element, and it's not what Jesus had spoke about when it comes to unity and a togetherness that comes about. It's not forced togetherness. It's not a right. a unity that comes about because we all believe the same thing. It's a unity because there at least is that core reality that we all believe that God loves us mm-hmm. as much as He loves the next person, and that is our yeah. like kind of united. So if if that's fair, that kind of sounds like. A, a little bit of what at least I got from what you were saying uh, mm-hmm. in, in this. And that's a far more attractive, mm-hmm. meaningful yeah. Adventism to me. Yeah. More compelling, Same. but yeah. yeah. Jesse, yeah. I was, but, Jesse, I was waiting for you to bring up uh, investigative judgment so we could see how uh, investigative judgment <laughs> fits with <laughs> all We're two hours into this. We I can't go time another time right? <laughs> <laughs> two hour mark. to see how well, that fits within the, the reality. Two hours and eight minutes, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. so we're, we're, we're a ways in. Actually, <laughs> we'll have to have we, love, again. we, have time we would love to have yeah. you, yeah, yeah, have yeah. you back. There's so much I more have, to talk about. I have more questions, but thank you so much, Ty. I really yeah, appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Is there anything that you want to... It's been simulating. Yeah, was there anything you want to plug here at the end? It will, Plug? People will uh, find you. Well, uh, <laughs> you got your own ministry, so lightbears.org. You can check out our work. Um, uh, you you mentioned that you read See with New Eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written a number of books that that uh, people can explore uh, at lightbears.org. If you if you're a reader, and lots of audio messages also at that website. Uh, Digma.com is a series of short story based videos that we created. Table talk is a is a uh, a four person discussion around a table. Um, yeah, for a plug, check out lightbears.org and track with our work. And you can follow me on social media, Ty F Gibson uh, on Instagram. I'm active on Instagram. I'm active on X, and I'm active on Facebook. <laughs> on X, uh, with nice. Continual posting. I don't yep. think I've ever called it X. You're on X, formerly Twitter. <laughs> I think Thanks we've so said much. formerly Twitter enough times that everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. What I, I so. can't figure out is when it was called Twitter, when you post something, it's called a tweet. So yeah. and now it's X when you post something that's a... What do you call it? Yeah, what is it called? Yeah. It's, a, it's a X. It's a X. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what Perfect. is it? If it's and X, that... do, you, do, you, do you post a Y? Right. <laughs> there you go. And if your reply is a Z, and what we've what we've come to is really the most important question I think we talked about today. So thanks, Ty, for that, and right. <laughs> appreciate thanks, Ty. you. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you. God bless, okay. guys. Thanks for having me. Well, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Seeking What They Sought. Before we rush to a close, wanted to just pause and say thank you. We are really, really grateful for you all, not only for listening, but for all the conversations that we've been having recently uh, from emails and messages, DMs, uh, text messages you've sent us if you know us. Uh, we are just really, really grateful for those conversations. They're the reason we did this podcast and uh, we're just really, really uh, grateful for you all. So please, if you haven't 
if you have thoughts and you haven't reached out, uh, please uh, send us an email um, or send us uh, just a DM on Instagram or, uh, or you know, drop a comment under one of, the, one of the posts. We would love to have conversations and uh, hear what you think. Now, if you didn't know, we actually have a Patreon. There are some fun, cool perks that you get for signing up. It's going a long way to, to help us make more content like this uh, for you guys, and we, we really appreciate it. So if you want to support us, you can hit up the Patreon. There's a link in our, our, our bio on Instagram, and uh, we would be really, really grateful. Well, I think that's just about it. So we will see you guys next time on Seeking What They Saw.